soul. We believe you are God and in control. Welcome to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Bram, a ministry of Worship Generation Church located in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please visit us at www.worshipgeneration.com. We believe in the power of the gospel. We believe you can transform every soul. We believe you're the Savior. Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible. Let the nations be glad, all his saints rejoice. He's the head. The church isn't about what we can build temporally in time for the kingdoms of men. That's like the Tower of Babel. Let us do this and let us ascend into heaven. Let us do all that. And, and there's been so many men and women 2,000 years in church history who have hijacked Jesus being the preeminent one in the church and made it about men who are the preeminent one or wealth the preeminent one or belief systems that are additions or subtractions from God's word that are the preeminent one. The uniqueness of our faith in Jesus Christ and what the world calls Christianity, biblical Christianity, is that we, each one of us individually, have heard the message of Jesus Christ as the Son of God dying on the cross for our sins, and we have received him. And we have been, through faith in him, we've experienced what you cannot experience in any other way, that is to be born again through the Holy Spirit converting us, and we pass from death to life. And we pass from hopelessness to all the promises of God. It is only in Jesus Christ that that can happen. And we, we come into the church through faith in Jesus Christ, not a church membership or a church baptism or a church catechism or a period of time of classes that you take. We come into the church, we pass from death to life when we receive Christ. For it says in the Gospel of John, as many as received him, he gave them the right to become the children of God. Not born of the will of man, not born of blood, not born of flesh, but born of God. And it's important to understand that. In the history of churches, particularly state churches in the past, there was baptisms with infants to identify with the nationality or ethnicities, particularly in the, you know, Europe in the 1300s, 1400s, 1500s, where you had these state churches and they're, gov- they're government-controlled. The idea of separation of church and state was because governments controlled churches, even like the Chinese do right now with state you know, communism and the government and all the suppression they brought upon their state churches don't even preach the gospel anyways, what's going on in China right now. The idea of the separation of church and state is render to God the things that are God and Caesar the things that are Caesar. And we respect human government because God tells us to, but our highest allegiance is always to Christ always, always to Christ because he's the head of the church and the church is the eternal kingdom of God on earth before it's going to be there in heaven. When we see the kingdom of God in heaven beyond this dimension, it is a reflection of what the kingdom of God is on earth, the church. No one is in Revelation 5 singing, worthy is the lamb who has not received Christ in time, space, and matter and saying, worthy is the lamb this side of eternity. No one can bow the knee in heaven and know the Lord and say Jesus Christ is Lord in eternity and be part of the kingdom without having first bowed the knee in time, space, and matter through faith in this law life before that. The church here is a living organism that represents eternity to our generation in every generation. And Jesus is the head of the church and he's the preeminent one in the church. He's that preeminence. Churches that worship Jesus and the church is universal and Jesus is worshiped. I'm, I'm 
pretty safe to say in every time zone on this planet today, especially with Holy Week coming up, Jesus is worshipped by believers of thousands of different dialects and different cultures and societies and ethnicities this coming week in a special way as we celebrate the resurrected Jesus Christ. And it's a universal church, and we're a local church that's part of that. And Jesus is the head. He's the head of this church. And he's a preeminent one. People might visit us and say, why do these Christians sing all these songs about Jesus? Because he's the Savior. He's Lord of the universe, and he's head of the church. Why do people go to political rallies and and swoon over politicians? Why do people go to sports events and swoon over athletes? Those are men. Those are women. They come and go, and they're flawed and marred with sin. We worship Jesus Christ, the sinless Savior. Seated at the right hand of the Father, whoever lives to intercede for us and who's coming again in glory. He's the preeminent one. And it pleased the Father, verse 19, that in him, in Jesus Christ, he would reconcile humanity to himself. That all the fullness should dwell in him, Jesus Christ, verse 19. So it pleased the Father that in Jesus, all the fullness of the universe would dwell. Everything, the moral purposes, everything. The created purpose is, and that by him, Jesus Christ, in verse 20, to reconcile all things to himself, by him, Jesus Christ, things on earth, things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of the cross. Romans chapter 5 so capsulizes the gospel message that, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That enmity that was between us and God as sinners before we give our life to Christ is removed when we receive Christ. And again, the blood of his cross. It's the blood of Christ. Only the blood of Christ can redeem us. That's very clear. We know in Leviticus it says that the life is in the blood. The life of an animal, the life of a human being, it's in the blood. We understand that, and science proves that. And there with that first fall of sin in the garden, blood was shed to provide a covering or a substitution for the sin of Adam and Eve when they're expelled from the Garden of Eden and paradise. And the idea of a sacrificial offering for sin was very clear in the next generation. For Abel, when he came to stand before the Lord, he brought from his flock, because he was a shepherd, he brought from the flock an offering, blood, understanding the concept that the blood from that sheep, if you will, or goat from his flock was a substitute for his sin. And we read that God accepted his offering because it was offered in faith. Of course, in Hebrews 11, when it talks about the fathers of the faith or the heroes of the faith, including the women as well there in chapter 11 of Hebrews, that Abel is there, that he brought the offering. By faith, Abel brought the offering and it pleased God. Cain brought an offering, but there was no blood. There was no substitution for Cain's sin. So Cain built a whole human race where Cain was all about Cain. Oh, it's, I killed someone, so now they're going to kill me. Right. It's called sowing and reaping. But God put a mark on Cain. And then when Cain had children, he named cities after his children. They built iron and all, all these tools that were, became weapons of war. They produced music that was music for time, space, and matter, but not eternity. They took all the women they wanted instead of the one that God intended, which the godly line through Abel would have learned. And when God replaced Abel 
who was killed by Cain, God gave Seth. And what do we read about Seth? When Seth was born, Eve gave glory to God. I've received another son, another seed from the Lord. In her birth with Seth, she gave God the glory. And then after Seth had his son, Enosh, what do we read? That then men began to call upon the Lord. The ungodly line, the godly line. The ungodly line was vegetables, rebellion, and self-centeredness. And that's the group in Genesis 6 where it says the thoughts and tents of their heart was only evil. But the godly line, which Jesus the Redeemer comes through as well, Eve gives God the glory, Seth replaces Abel, and then Seth's kid, people begin to call on the name of the Lord. And from that godly line, who comes from that line? Well, Genesis 6, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah comes from that godly line. That's who we are in the church. We're in the line with the blood. We're in the line, what's the point, Joy? We're in the line with the blood. We're with Abel. There's power in the blood. There's power in the blood and redeemed by the blood. And we know all those animal sacrifices, no one could be saved. For by the blood and bulls and goats was not sufficient. But it's Christ who came and died once, which we celebrate this coming week on Good Friday. That blood shed on that cross is the blood of God. And it is the only blood in the universe from the Lord of the universe who is head of the church that can save us from our sins. There is no other blood that can save us from our sins. That's why he can turn to the, um, the criminal and say, today you'll be with me in paradise because he speaks with full authority because that's his blood that is able to redeem. He's made peace. And it pleased the Father, that's the way it would be. We are reconciled. See, it was all lost with Adam and Eve, and we're reconciled through Jesus Christ. He's made peace, and we're reconciled. Jesus is Lord of the universe. Jesus is Lord of the church. And since we're reconciled by his blood, it's grace, of course, and he's given us peace, it gives us a pause to think here. Is he the preeminent one in our lives? And I think, I know many of you, so I could answer the question for you. Yes, as a whole, yes, as a pattern, that he's a permanent one, that he's over our lives on a day-to-day basis. Are we experiencing his peace in our lives on a day-to-day basis? That's a good question to ask ourselves, too. Since the redemption and restoration of all humanity comes through Jesus Christ to give us peace with God, and Jesus said, my peace I leave you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives, give I unto thee, we know that he wants us to have peace. Now, we're told in... Philippians, be anxious for nothing, but through prayer and supplication, let our request be made known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, which means we don't always know what's going on, but we have a peace. We have a peace. There can be chaos, like a hurricane going on around us, but we're going into intense situations and circumstances. We're going through them in our life, maybe, but the peace of God guides us. We're going to see here in Colossians, we're going to read very shortly that the peace of God rule in your hearts. And that phrase there in chapter 3, that rule is the root word from which we get like umpire in baseball. Let the peace say it's safe or it's out. The Holy Spirit guides us in peace. Jesus said he'd guide us in all things. And the, the clearest way he's guiding us is to give us peace or a check mark about certain decisions and certain things in directions in our life. So let the peace of God rule in our hearts. Jesus Christ died on the cross that we could believe in him and receive the victory over sin, death, the grave, and the devil by that blood and have peace in our heart and we could fulfill what he's created us for because we're created for him. Now we pick it up in verse 21. He says this, 
And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. So as he describes these believers, remember, he said such great things about this church last week in the text we looked at. He says, and you who once were alienated enemies in your mind by wicked works against God. We were alienated. Until we come to Christ, whether we're brought up in a religious sense or total devoid of any direction with faith in our upbringing, we're alienated enemies by the sinful nature in our lives. No one's a friend of God. No one is born a friend of God. All we like sheep have gone astray. The Bible tells us while we're yet enemies, Christ died for us on the cross. And there's none who seeks after the Lord no, not one. There's not one. There never has been. There never will be. We're born in sin. Like David said in Psalm 51, I was born in sin and transgressions I have uh, produced from that sin. My, my mom brought me forth in a sinful nature. So, but it's interesting the phrases, you once were, so it's past tense. Because if any man or woman be in Christ, or a new creation, old things have passed away, all things are new. So he says through Christ dying on the cross. So Christ is the creator. He's the Lord of the universe. Christ is the head of the church. He's the Lord of the church. And he's birthed the church and brings people into the church through his death, burial, and resurrection and people receiving the gospel message through him. And he's meant to be the preeminent one in the church, not men, not religious machinery and mechanics, but the relationship. It's all about the relationship. And what he's done is, is we were this but now what is? Look at verse 21 again. Yet now he has reconciled. So we pass from death to life when we come to Christ. That's why the second birth is so crucial. Because we were once alienated enemies. But when we give our life to Christ, we pass from death to life. Life. Yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh. Lord of the universe takes on a human body through the virgin birth of Mary. Lives a perfect sinless life and then experiences the pain that that body would bring through crucifixion. I mentioned this recently. I do not, who likes, no one likes physical pain. I mean, we don't like pain, and there's different types of pain. No one likes pain. When people are dealing with terminal illnesses, we talk about pain management, right? That's, if you ever dealt with someone with a terminal illness, and they're, you know, cancer can be very painful. Terminal cancer can be extremely, excruciatingly painful. As a witness, I've seen this. And, you know, doctors and medical people talk about pain management. You know, how we can manage the pain down the stretch for this person. And it's a, it's a common phrase in the medical field, pain management. Jesus Christ went to the cross and experienced the fullness of all the pain that his beating would have taken from the soldiers. Beaten beyond recognition. I mean, when someone's beat up so bad that you can't recognize them, I just can't even imagine the pain. I was once in a, a car accident when I was 16 in a car that rolled. I wasn't driving and I was so sore for weeks from that car accident. And I had a seatbelt on. And I just remember how painful that was. I've had chronic back issues for the last 30 years or so. At various times, it's crippling. And so that's a pain. I've watched my wife give birth as a witness. That looks extremely painful, unmatched by anything I've ever seen. If her pain. Jesus took on the pain Lord of the universe 
who made all things for whom are all things, he took on that pain to redeem us back to himself, the sons of Adam and daughters of Eve, to reconcile us back to the Father. He took on that pain in his body. That's what makes it so great. God so loved the world, he gave his son. And Jesus said there's no greater love than a man that laid down his life for his friends, and yet we're told he died for us while we were enemies. And even on the cross, with all that pain, physically, all that humiliation, emotionally, what does he say? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's to the religious leaders. Going through that part of the gospel and Luke this time, it really spoke to me like, that's probably the hardest thing to do is when people humiliate you and reject you and try to destroy you, and you're there, that would be more painful than the physical beating. More often than that, I say words hurt more than than a beating sometimes. Oh, words can just, oh, we know that. The Bible tells us that. And yet Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The pain. He took on that pain because we were alienated and, and enemies and wicked in the works of our mind. But in Christ, he has reconciled us in his body through his death to present us, verse 22, to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. So his perfect righteousness is imputed to our account through faith in him. So when the Father sees you and I through faith in Jesus Christ, when we're in, you know, when we pass from death to life, we're born again, we're in Christ, he sees us like he sees the Son, perfectly sinless. He sees us in the righteousness of Christ. We understand that when we come to Christ, we are given a positional righteousness that's reckoned to our account through faith in Jesus. When we receive him as Lord, his righteousness becomes our righteousness. So his death on the cross becomes a punishment for our sins and his righteousness becomes our righteousness. We're, that righteousness is declared by God as a perfect, complete righteousness. By grace you have been saved, and that through faith, not of works, so we should boast. So we understand that Jesus, as the author and finisher of our faith, is perfect righteousness for our lives. It's a positional righteousness that does not change. Now, we know day to day we have a variable righteousness. Our righteousness can look like a volatile stock on the NYSE. Really good days, really bad days. Now, most of us don't wake up and say, let's have a bad day. Let's make bad decisions. Let's just rebel against the Lord. Most of us don't think like that. But things go wrong and things happen. And you feel like, oh, this is a bad week for the Lord to call me home. I don't like how it's, you know, I don't like my life highlights on ESPN of life. It's not looking good. Or this has been a really good week with the Lord. Man, I'm just rolling like this is, this is the week for the Lord to call me home. We tend to think like that, and that becomes a works-based faith. But our faith is faith-based in the person of Jesus Christ. Look at the thief on the cross. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. It had nothing to do with any work he could do not even a baptism or anything. He just said, Lord, remember me. He, had his, he put his faith in Jesus. He acknowledged his sin, and he put his faith in Jesus. And that doesn't change for us. So our, our righteousness is positional, and it's practical, but that's the work of the Holy Spirit. But they're two different things. Positional righteousness doesn't change, but practical is that constructing work of the Holy Spirit in our lives on a day-to-day basis as we draw near the Lord and we begin to understand, apart from him, we can do nothing. And so we grow and we learn and we, we repent, we confess our sins, we tell people we're sorry, we try and do what we can, and we go forward. We can never change yesterday. We have today, and we can try and make the best decisions possible on this day, April 13th, 2019, and we can wake up tomorrow with a vision for tomorrow, 
what the plan is with the Lord and go forward and treat each day as an incredible gift of life that is given to us by Christ from whom are all things and for whom all things. So our gift of life today is from the Lord Jesus Christ. And since he knows the hairs on our head, we can make it very personal for us. This day is a gift from Jesus Christ to each one of us, but it is for his purposes. But his death on the cross through his body being the sufficient sacrifice, not Abel's sheep, but God's son is that complete, acceptable substitution. That blood for that forgiveness of our sins is in place for that righteousness to present us holy and blameless because of our faith in Jesus Christ. See, the thief would have been declared holy and blameless before the Father through his faith in Jesus Christ because he certainly couldn't have done anything. He can do one moral thing, one act of kindness, or he could, even, he could even give a child a cup of cold water in Jesus' name from the cross. He's a condemned sinner with no hope, but he found hope in Jesus, and that's a great lesson for us. To present us holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. We're above reproach because of who Christ is and what he's done for us. But we read on in verse 23, and we conclude tonight with this. If you continue steadfast in the faith. See, the key is perseverance and continuation, but it's in the faith, not not in our works. We have to be really careful that we don't make it like works. We have a working faith because we're saved by faith. It's God who wills and works in us for his good pleasure. But it's not if we continue in the faith. We're meant to continue in the faith. We're meant to be dependent upon him in the faith. We're meant to be grounded and steadfast. We're not moved away from the hope of the gospel. We already saw previously last week that hope of the gospel is everything for this church, which you heard, faith, hope, and love, which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. So that message of the gospel is the hope of heaven through faith in Jesus Christ. And we're not to be moved from that. I cannot explain, nor do I even try and figure out theologically what these kind of warnings mean. I just believe that when I give my life to Christ and you gave your life to Christ, his blood covers our sins, past, present, future. But there are plenty of warnings that are there to warn us about drifting away from the Lord. In fact, the book of Hebrews is pretty much dedicated to that very thought. And there's verses like this that tell us if we continue continue in the faith. And why wouldn't we continue in the faith? Like Peter said in John chapter 6, where are we going to go? You got the words of life. Yeah, because there's hard sayings, we're going to discontinue. Because I have a bad day in life, I'm going to discontinue walking with the Lord. Where are we going to go? Where are we going to go? We're made by Christ and for Christ, and in him we consist. Our fullness of purpose is in Jesus. As Billy Graham used to say, if you're alive and not living for Jesus, you have no real purpose in life. Your purpose is to come to know Jesus, and then you can fulfill his calling on your life and in your life and through your life. When you see people walk away from the Lord, they just, they become aimless. They're like ships lost at sea without a rudder. Because our very purpose is to come to know the Lord and then to walk with the Lord and fulfill what the Lord has for us. That's why we're alive. So the moment someone just walks away from the Lord and is not about the Father's business or seeking the kingdom or going after the things of God, they, they, they're, that's, they've, they've walked away from their purpose in life. When we wake up tomorrow morning, our purpose in life is to wake up and, and praise the Lord and seek the Lord. For he's worthy of our praises. He's, gonna, he's got a plan to bless us. In him are all the blessings. All the promises are yes, yes, or no, no, but they're not yes and no. And he's got a plan for us. He's got a purpose for us. And 
we've had a couple of people from this congregation step into eternity in the first part of this year. And when you meditate upon that, you just really, as a pastor, I think they're not coming back. They are gone. And what happened, happened. And their story is done, but our story is still being written. And so I just say, you know, God's done his part. We just need to stay confident in him. Let him be our confidence. We need to be dependent upon him. We need to seek the Lord, keep him first. Let the, let the Lord bring us through the things that we're going through. Grow and learn from our mistakes. And realize that, like King David said, God is good. And God is good all the time. You are good. You are good. And your love endures. And we can trust him. I don't know what the month of April holds for the rest of you or me or us as a church or the rest of this year. But we don't need to fear tomorrow because Jesus Christ is Lord of the universe. He's head of his church. He's got our back. He died on the cross for our sins. He's risen from the grave for our hope and justification. He's seated at the right hand of the Father to be ever accessible to us as our great high priest. And he's coming. He's coming again. And we get to live for such a time as this to declare that through our lives, our actions, our reactions, and our words. And I just say, amen. You've been listening to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Brandt. If you would like more information about the ministry of Worship Generation, visit us online at www.worshipgeneration.com, where you can listen to the podcast of today's entire message. Worship Generation is located at 10350 Ellis Avenue in Fountain Valley, California. Our service times are Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. And also follow Pastor Joey on Instagram under the tag name at Joey Brand. Thanks for listening and God bless. Not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed, not ashamed of the one I love. Not ashamed, not ashamed.